What is happening? Uh, what does that sound like to you, Badrin? You really splurged on the sound effects for this. Yeah, episode, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I dug deep. I, 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 I paid for a big loop package for that one. Uh, any guesses as to what that was? Uh, I, I, no. There was some crackling, some wind sounds. Was it a plastic bag blowing in the wind? Uh, no, uh, that was an impression of fire. <laughs> oh. uh, you know, fire with the wind and the crackling. And uh, the I think also embers. yeah, the noise reduction on the microphone takes some of the sound out. So it was part of an impression of fire. Anyway, this week, uh, last week, I started with an impress for, uh, impression of Christopher Walken. And this week starts with an impression of fire. Uh, I'm not mostly- sure I like this trend. <laughs> Yeah, it's too late now. I've already committed to the bit. <laughs> um, um, so imagine last week we talked about death and I asked you if you think about your own death. And this week uh, I'm beginning by asking you, uh, do you believe in reincarnation? I sincerely hope reincarnation is a thing because I would desperately like to come back as a house cat. Oh, as a house cat? I watch my cat every day and she is living the good Mm. life she has her choice literally there is a bed in every room Mm -hmm. she has her choice of where to lounge the only thing I ask of her is that she eats her required meals for the day and I'm like excited when that happens so Mm -hmm. somebody if I could get someone else to be excited that I eat Mm -hmm. that's just the life cats do spend like 95% of their time being content and then Five uh, percent of their time in in, an, in a fury of rage. Yeah, and um, if she's not content, but, uh, I stop everything that I'm doing, including sleeping, mm-hmm. to go and attend to her needs. Yeah, it's a, it's a good life. Um, I hadn't thought about uh, what I would want to be reincarnated as. I was just thinking about reincarnation. Uh, I feel like our guest today is going to know a lot about reincarnation, um, seeing new sides of themselves, um, you know, bursting into flames. Uh, you know, some of you might be wondering, why did I start this podcast making a whole bunch of random noise? Uh, aside from being a little bit strange, I did that because today's uh, monster involves fire, reincarnation, rebirth. Today's monster is the Phoenix. There's a lot of uh, information actually about this type of monster, uh, the phoenix, but the easiest way that I could describe it is a firebird. It is a bird of fire that creates fire. Uh, sometimes it's literally fire. Um, they, oh, really? Uh, I never found a reference where it was actually a fire. I always just read that it was reborn of fire. Yeah, well, sometimes they like literally manifest like energy, like fire energy. There's a few different colors that they often appear in. Um, so there's uh, gold, silver, red, orange, purple. 
Um, so the fire colors plus uh, purple <laughs> and silver. Um, the earliest origin that I can find is um, ancient Egypt, fifth uh, century BC. Uh, it's a symbol of the sun as we were talking about this uh, rebirth and renewal. Um, Phoenix, here's another question that I have for you, Madrin, and I don't think it comes with an answer. Uh, I'm just getting off track, but it's it's important. The What's that? Tangents? We the, don't do that. The, the plural of Phoenix is either Phoenixes or Phoenix. There's like, I looked it up and there's a lot of people that believe very passionately that it's one, like Phoenixes or or Phoenix. Phoni? Well, whatever it is, like have, one of them's going to end up on, on the episode title, so we'll see. Well, I think the reason why it's not clear as to what the plural of Phoenix is, is that in all of my research, pretty much every culture who has a version of the Phoenix says that there can be only one. It's like Highlander. There's only yeah. ever one at a time. Sure, sure. But I, but I, but so, I, let's say, for example. So that's why we don't have a plural, right? Because you don't, you don't see more than one at a time. I, I guess it's a more modern thing, but certainly in some pop culture, there could be evidence of there being more than one Phoenix in that universe. Or for example, I've got all these different versions of the Phoenix. So it, the I, if I put them all together, it could be the, the Phoenixes. Like the Phoenix. Phoenix. That sounds good. Um, yeah. Well, that's it. Okay. Um, anyway. I like it. I like. I like it, but I don't know. Anyway. I, I try to stop I, me. Try I, to stop me, listeners. That, Come that, at me. They can't. It's it's gonna. It's impossible. It's it's uh, it's recorded audio, <laughs> but you can't be stopped. We're not uh, live. You can't stop me. Ha ha ha. Uh, okay. Well. Um. So. Now that we've solved that important um, topic, um, th they have a, a few different powers. So I think as a monster, uh, the biggest power that they have is resurrection. Um, so at the end of their life, they usually molt heavily. Sometimes they look quite sickly, uh, sometimes not. And they burst into flames and turn into ashes. And then uh, shortly after that, they are from the ashes born again. Uh, sometimes as like a fully formed bird and sometimes as like a young baby bird uh, that grows at a, I guess, a standard bird rate. Um, they're essentially immortal because of this cycle uh, of living and dying. Now, I'm not sure. I, I couldn't find like evidence of like if I like, and I wouldn't, but if I like stabbed a phoenix, if it could die and if it would be reborn the same way I, I assume that it probably would but usually yeah, it's, I kind of wondered about the end that. of its life cycle because I was reading a story about oh I should probably try to find out while we're talking but I was reading a story about it was like a, a king or you know somebody of nobility who was convinced that if he ate a phoenix he Ooh. would become immortal uh, and I, so uh, he sent out all of his servants to go and find one and they were like dude how can i find a phoenix there's only ever one in the world at any given time uh so they i guess they gave him a different kind of bird and convinced him that it was a phoenix and then obviously mm. he died anyway right <laughs> so, um that's cool I didn't, I, realize, I didn't realize that was in the history of it too i have a piece of pop culture that feeds right off of that that i'll get to later mm -hmm. um but I find like their immortality is is really fascinating, both in their cycle, but just like that there's such an ancient uh, creature. Um, 
they, in addition to being uh, immortal and resurrecting themselves, they can also fly for long periods of time. Uh, I've seen even in some versions where they don't have feet, like sometimes they just fly forever, but most of them do have feet and, and like land. Um, they don't get tired. They're very strong. They can lift things. Um, some of them can uh, cover their body in flames uh, as a defense mechanism from being attacked. Um, so like they can be kind of shrouded in fire um, and they have uh, healing properties. Um, so their tears can heal uh, wounds or, or diseases uh, and their, uh, their, their down, like their phoenix down, uh, uh, tail feathers can save someone from death, um, which comes up in pop culture as well. But there's actually a ton of powers for this monster um, when you think about it as well. Like it's, uh, it, there's variants depending on which um, tradition it comes from. But I find the phoenix on the whole to have uh, a pretty, uh, st- let's say a strong build, you know? A hearty. A hearty a build. Hearty, a hearty species. Yeah. What I think is pretty cool about this particular monster is that so far, this is our first monster that is kind of uncharacteristically not very monstery. Like mm. a phoenix doesn't have any kind of ill will or evil intent and doesn't you know go around destroying whole villages and devouring people and eating that sort of thing like they just they're certainly they are fantastic creatures uh and then of course as will had just said they have a lot of defense mechanisms that will like totally mess you up if you try to mess with a phoenix but they're not destructive in nature the way that Mm. typically you'll you when you think of monsters that is how they are that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually team monster, but uh, monsters don't generally come off very well in films. Usually they are the bad guy or the villain. And the phoenix, I think, does not generally appear as that kind of antagonist uh, to to heroes in, in the stories that they come from. Usually um, they represent a lot of like hope and, and positive, um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> allyship. <laughs> um, oh, I so- found that story about the guy. There was a it was a Roman emperor name Elagal, sorry, Elagabalus, Elagabalus, that's, he was so obsessed with this phoenix that he wanted to eat one because he thought it was going to make him immortal, so he sent out all of his servants to find one, and they ended up uh, getting him the Regiana bird of New Guinea, Okay. which is typically, is what we know of more commonly as the bird of paradise. Okay, yeah. So, they fed this poor bird to, to this Roman emperor because uh, they, of course, were terrified of what he was going to do if they came back empty-handed. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, he ended up dying a yeah. few years later. Well, so that's what you get for trying yeah, to serve, eat. Serves him, but also serves him right for giving his, these people an impossible task. <laughs> like, go find me a, a mythological creature. Uh, well, and the kind of hubris be- you, much, you must have to think I'm so important that not only do I need to be immortal, but that I am going to kill and eat this absolutely fantastic, also semi-immortal bird of which there is only ever one in the world at any given time. Like what an ego on that guy, right? Mm. Yes, that's just power. You you know, you could be the guy who did that. Um, So speaking of guys who did things, uh, <laughs> what a segue! Yeah. Um, the first recorded uh, like history of the Western Phoenix was recorded by uh, Herodotus, who's an ancient Greek writer historian. 
Um, and his description uh, of, of it came from Egypt, um, possibly based on the Bennu, which I'll get to in a second, who said it was like an eagle-like creature worshipped at Heliopolis, but from Arabia, where it would live for 500 years and then build a nest out of spices to cremate itself in and then return to life. So there's this 500-year cycle of this like ancient um, eagle-like thing in Egypt uh, that may be the Bennu, and, and so I'll give a little bit of description of that. So this is um, a stork-like bird um, from Egyptian mythology associated with the sun, creation, and rebirth. Um, some uh, legends claimed it was the first being in existence and helped with the creation of the world. So it's this like very old um, uh, firebird, <laughs> uh, and that's, I think, where we traditionally get this idea of specifically a phoenix. There is some other types of fire birds that I think are all relevant to our research of the phoenix, but might not be quite described as a phoenix in that culture. Um, so, uh, imagine do you want to tackle any of those, or should I just jump into some variants here? Um, well, certainly. I'm. Let, let's hear about your variants. I, I have some instances of like a phoenix-like creature in different cultures across the world, but mm -hmm. I would let's let's hear your stuff. Okay. Well, uh, here's here's <laughs> the ones I've gotten. Feel free to add on some more information if you got it. Um, the first version, so there's the, the Bennu, which I think is the predominant uh, phoenix uh, say variant. Um, there's the Anka, which is the Arabian mythology. Um, and th these don't have quite as much detail other than it being like a giant female bird, probably either a heron or an eagle um, who attacks her victims during the sunset. Um, but later, like as, as the myth progressed, it adopted many attributes of the phoenix and other mythical birds, um, such as the ability to resurrect itself. So, you know, that could have been from the Arabian mythology. Um, there's the vermilion bird um, or the Suzaku. Um, so this is a Chinese-Japanese mythology. Um, and this is often mistaken as the like Asian phoenix due to the color of its plumage. Um, however, in most of its countries, it's not necessarily considered a phoenix so much as like a fire bird uh and more so a bird that uses fire that is fire but the part of this confusion is also that it's associated with the south and summer and fire in general um and that it's confused with the last variant that i've got as well here which is the feng huang uh which is uh like a, a chinese um phoenix-like creature, let's say, whether it is a phoenix or not is, I guess, debatable. Um, but it's a symbol of virtue and grace. And it's a firebird that's kind of the yin and yang with a dragon. So it's a long tradition of you see the balance between those two things. And, and it also originated from the sun. Um, and so I just think like many of these other monsters, it's interesting to see that these images are global, even in their ancient form, and, and how we right now are probably at the most merged these images have ever been. Like our idea of a phoenix just really borrows from all these different cultures um, and just kind of merges them into the thing that we would like it to be for probably our own storytelling. Um, but I love seeing how far reaching it can be. Um, you know, and, and also it shows, you know, the truth of these monsters, uh, which, uh, which 
you know, it's hard to put it down in paper, you know, especially uh, thousands and thousands of years ago, if you run to run into them, it would freak you out. But look, we've got lots of um, evidence here. Anything you want to tack on there in terms of variants, Madrid? Well, I was reading about uh, a, a Hindu kind of equivalent. So in Hindu mythology, Garuda is um, the avian deity. And again, like uh, the phoenix, as we've been seeing in other cultures, he's a, a sunbird and is depicted as having red and orange and yellow coloring so much like the sun or like fire. Um, and so according to Hindu mythology, he became immortal through an act of selflessness and, and sacrifice. Mm. Um, so his mother had been enslaved by snakes and so to go and free her, Garuda had to go on this epic quest to get a vial filled with Amrit, which is the potion for immortality. Mm. And he was going to use it as a ransom to bargain with the snakes for his mother, like in exchange for his mother. And while he was on his quest, he could have drunk this Amrit himself, but didn't. And Vishnu was so impressed by this act of selflessness that he granted Garuda immortality anyway. Oh, that's nice. See, that's right? just a, that's just the it's a nice, satisfying uh, story. Uh, beat. Yeah, it's like well, and you know, it does the, the the son doing such nice things for his mother, right? Look, the son <laughs> does nice things for us all. <laughs> well, I meant son as in like offspring. Like well, I I meant child. son as in the vitamins <laughs> and and the bird and the the son. The vitamin. <laughs> the vitamin. Um, and that's then I was in my skin. I was also reading uh, in Persian mythology, there are two mythical phoenix-esque birds. Uh, one is the Simurg, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a massive bird that is supposed to have been big enough to carry an elephant. And according to that legend, it looked like a peacock, but had a dog's head and lion's claws. And was mm. so ancient that she possessed universal wisdom. And was uh, she purified the land and the water and was viewed as a messenger between the earth and the sky. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, all of these variations. I think some of our other monsters, we've had this too, which is like a very medieval thing where there's different types of animals merged with other animals that could have been on like the, the crest of your shield uh, or wherever mm -hmm. you are, like um, I, that I've seen with with. Uh, the phoenix, um, but we also saw this with dragons we were talking about it. I've seen it with different monsters where um, there's some variation. And it was a thing with the phoenix um, that it was eventually like adopted by the rest of the classical world and it survived into the Middle Ages um, from ancient Egypt and it became a staple of like bestiaries and, and eventually also a symbol of um the resurrection of jesus christ like it, it yeah i was gonna say and of course it was it was uh, co-opted by a bunch of white people yeah and, and, and merged into <laughs> into religious like allegory too and so yes. that really makes it stick right like historically you can uh, without maybe that sticking point we might not have as much evidence uh, of going back further just because it it's it gives it a little boost of popularity at the time uh whether or not we agree with that now is kind of uh here or there but um i do think it's it's uh, a part of the history of the monster that it was um it, rebirth was used in that way as well um and in the middle ages um oh i just realized i didn't tell you about the second persian phoenix-like bird please do 
Um, and this is what was making me think about it. So the, this other bird was called the Huma. Um, and it ties back into the, the other instances of, of Phoenix when you were talking about where uh, the Huma was supposed to have never been, uh, never touched the ground. Mm -hmm. And then they also too consume themselves in fire and regenerate from the fire. Mm -hmm. uh, and is also referred to as the bird of paradise. Oh, so cool. it was interesting that it goes back to what I was saying about this uh, Roman emperor who ended up who wanted to eat a phoenix and ended mm. up eating a bird of paradise. Yeah, it was, so it's it was, all coming back to me now. It's, it's a bird of paradise. It's just not that bird of paradise. It's not that particular so, one. So they weren't like they weren't lying. They were just kind of telling half the truth <laughs> when they handed that off. Um, yeah. You know, they filled out their paperwork just fine. Uh, <laughs> well, that's all the history I've got on the Phoenix. Uh, I've got lots of pop culture to talk about. Um, oh, yeah. We're going to be joined later on, not right after this break, but after the next one, um, by uh, Soleil Ashburn, who's going to let us know um, which, uh, which parts of this history is true and which of it is just complete nonsense. Uh, so you can look forward to that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, soon. Welcome back uh, to Monstrology. We're going to be digging into the pop culture of, uh, <laughs> what did you say, imagine? Phoni? Phoni. Phoni, whatever you settled on, you believe yeah. it very strongly. Um, of of Phoni. Uh, I still think, I feel like it's like a single plural phoenix. Um, but You do you, I'll do me. Okay, <laughs> um, I will. Um, so whenever we've got these um, monsters and I'm researching pop culture, uh, once I've gotten to the nitty gritty of the truth, I usually go to uh, movies and try to search for movies. Couldn't find as many uh, modern movies, but I did find um, uh, something that I hadn't watched, which is a kind of a cross between a long form music video and a short film which is uh, Kanye West has a 30-minute oh, yeah. film uh, for uh, Runaway. And it's actually quite good. <laughs> like, it's, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't watch it at the time. Um, do I like every element of Kanye West's personality? Potentially not. Do I like his art? Oftentimes, quite a bit, yeah. Um, and it's a really cool music video. Um, the premise is that uh, like a man um, who does have a character name, but it's basically Kanye West, uh, falls in love with a half woman, half phoenix who fell to earth uh, from the sky, kind of like a meteorite, um, played by uh, Salida Ebanks, I believe the like actress, dancer, model person. Um, and she interprets the, the way that it's done, which I think is actually a really interesting choice, is the phoenix in the film is also very theatrical in the sense that it's not meant to look necessarily realistic, but the movements that she brings to it, like the physical quality of her performance is very interesting. There's also like ballet dancers in the video and like a lot of more like ab abstract art or interpretations of the Phoenix throughout. Uh, but it's really cool. And it's like actually, I think more believable in that way that instead of talons on uh, two of her fingers, she's got these long gold kind of, um, I don't know what you put them there, almost like artificial um, nails, like his long gold uh, claws that she uses and like touches things. There's like a dinner table. Anyway, the 
the physical theater performance is pretty cool. Um, and if people like Kanye West, it's like a 30 minute music video. Um, that's quite good. Before it be, kind of became more popular, I know like Beyonce has those. Anyway, it's one of the best interpretations of a Phoenix I could find in the movies that I like actually liked the content quite a bit. Um, and the other uh, just like movie movie that I watched that features uh, Phoenix that also is a series of books that I think probably no one has ever heard of at all uh, that comes up all the time. And everyone's always like, what is that? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> and in- uh, Oh, do tell. What is in, this uh, unknown? It's about a, it's about a wizarding books. a wizarding world and a, a, a young uh, chosen boy who uh, is uh, tied to a great evil. Anyway, in, in this series, um, there is a wizard uh, named Templedore, and he has a I don't know if I use the term pet, but I like let's say companion phoenix. I'm not sure if yeah, I think that's pet. pretty accurate. Um, I guess maybe pet, but it doesn't feel like he owns the phoenix named named Fox um f-a-w-k-e-s um and it, i mean it appears in some of the different books and films but i think most predominantly in the second one in the chamber of secrets um it's established and you see kind of different elements of the phoenix so first you see it um like harry walks into dumbledore's office and he sees this bird and it immediately bursts into flames and like dies and he's like oh my god i'm so sorry i, I didn't do it it's, it just it just happened uh, and then it's like reborn from the ashes as a little baby tiny bird um so we see that rebirth and there is a pretty, like a trope uh, in in kind of pop culture where this happens repeatedly with phoenix where people wander in as they're about to die and they're sickly and they think it's their fault and then it's just it's not um but the phoenix also has like super strength, like it, it can carry uh, five uh, witches and wizards out of a, a chamber quite easily. Um, it uh, helps defeat the, the basilisk, uh, which hopefully we'll get to some other day as well by like digging out its eyes so that it can't um, petrify them or kill them. Uh, it heals a deadly wound, like a bite. Uh, the skin is healed uh, with its tears. Um, you, you, you really see a lot of uh, Phoenix powers in this movie. I, I feel like, you know, there's not a lot of Phoenix screen time, but the, the time it did have was very well used. He really, he really uh, makes a lot of his uh, minimal time, yeah. And yeah. then what's interesting in, in the Harry Potter lore, too, is that uh, our protagonist, Harry Potter, and our villain, Voldemort, are rather cosmically linked in several different ways. And one of them is that they both have a feather from Fox's tail in mm. each of their wands. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways that they are um, linked in, in, within this world. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It, it's also, I believe the Phoenix, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to decide whether I should spoil the plot of Harry Potter. It's been out for a while. It's been uh, out for 20 years. I think we're good. When a specific elderly wizard uh, plummets to their death, uh, later, <laughs> later uh, Fox is, is seen mourning and then disappears. Uh, I'm just sensitive to this because during the books, I had somebody spoil it for me, that character's death, and I like never forgave them and was very sad about it. There's oh. been a couple of moments in my life where like key deaths and things have been ruined. I, I don't want to do that to somebody else. So it's very sad for you. Look, if you've never read Harry Potter or seen any of the movies and you're about to do it right now, um, which would be interesting, um, then I won't have spoiled it for you and I'll feel good about that.
But anyway, the Phoenix also looks great in that movie. A lot of their creature and monster designs are, are very good. Um, and I really like uh, Chris Columbus, like those, uh, apparently I was looking up like why he stopped directing after the first two movies and apparently it's just emotional exhaustion, which. Yeah, well, especially because those first two movies are uh, there, you know, where the kids are the youngest and it has the most children in it. And it's, it, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to manage mm-hmm. as a, as a director, I think. Yeah. And especially um, at that time they were establishing the series, right? So there, I think there was a lot of weight on his shoulders as to what the tone was going to be and whether or not this really was going to be mm-hmm. successful in making these movies. The, the first, the first three mm-hmm. movies are my favorite. Like the first two really capture. Definitely the Prisoner the of Azkaban is the best one. It's the best movie for sure. Alfonso it's the Perron. best one. It's yeah. gorgeous. And then the rest of them are fine. I just <laughs> didn't like, a, uh, no, look, they're all good artists, but the, I didn't like the direction of the later films as much as the first three. Well, they, you know, but as things get bigger, they have to try to cram more into it. Yeah, there's just, anyway, this is a slight sidebar, but my one of my least favorite tropes in, in anything, TV, movies, I guess it's like any sort of visual film, is when you've got an abstract monster and we like know what it is, but you have to put a human face on it. And so it, it, multiple times in the later Harry Potter uh, movies there's like giant dark fiery smoke thing but it's like you gotta slap the face of Voldemort on that so that we know what it is even though the voice is in the background and everyone knows it's like why do we have to see this human face on a on a mist monster it's one of my least favorite tropes anyway that trope doesn't appear in the chamber of secrets <laughs> so tangents what we don't do that no um no we don't um, All right, so the movie that I want to talk about, this might be my nerdiest moment yet in this show. We'll have to, uh, I don't know, that'll be up to you to judge. In Star Trek First Contact, which is my favorite and and I think is the best Star Trek movie, come at me, nerds, if you want. <laughs> so the the plot of it is that the Borg are going back in time to stop humans from having first contact with Vulcans. And so the Enterprise, our heroes, are chase after them and have to stop them from doing this. And so in doing that, they encounter Zephram Cochran, who is the scientist who created a warp-capable vessel. And so in Star Trek lore, it is his ship that achieves warp speed. And as he takes it on its first test run, he encounters the Vulcans and the Vulcans decide to stop and meet the humans. And that is the first contact. That is the first alien encounter that humans have. And so begins the Federation and Starfleet and everything that we know in the Star Trek world. And so the name of Zephyrin Cochran's ship is the Phoenix. I see. Yeah. I love that movie. It's fantastic. Troy spends most of it drunk. It's amazing. Yeah. Ma- imagine us do the heavy lifting for the, the Trekkie portions of this uh, podcast. Uh, I don't believe we've got, we've, we have actually made it this far without, I guess that's the, that is wise because we made it this far without me talking about Star Trek because mm-hmm. typically we are talking about earthly mythological monsters mm-hmm. and not fantasy sci-fi monsters. Maybe we'll get there. 
uh, one day. I know a lot about Star Trek too. No, no shortage of material. Um, <laughs> and no shortage of things I'm that big, I know I'm about sci-fi. I'm a big Star, Star Wars fan and I don't dislike Star Trek. I just don't have the same reverence and knowledge of it. Um, most of my Star Trek knowledge is like the modern movies, which are not as good. They're okay. I mean, they're their own thing. Yeah. Um, but certainly in that era of Star Trek, like with First Contact, because Jonathan Frakes directed it, he is an absolutely fantastic director, specifically within the sci-fi genre. I think Patrick Stewart is banging in that movie. <laughs> you should, have you his arms? Oh my god! Uh, I, you know that 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 would be the reason that I watch it. But I, I, I well, like I said too, uh, and and Troy spends like two thirds of the movie getting drunk with Zekrin Cochran, which I think, is also really fun. I think the thing with with Star Trek is the ideas. And Alfred Woodard like, is think, in it. Oh, I think the so writing good. is good, and I think I might appreciate now that now more than I used to. But I have a trouble sometimes with like low budget sci fi, like older sci fi that I, I I can't get into it as much. Did you just refer to this as low-budget old sci-fi? It is, I mean, comparatively. <laughs> well, now that I have um, forced... I now have to, like, completely reevaluate my relationship with you. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not saying it's bad. That uh, movie came out when I was, like, in high school, Will. Look, it's just a thing. It's I have the same... Oh. I think it's, it's relative to... <laughs> I have to decide how much I want to alienate myself from my own audience. I, um, the other thing that I, I don't watch, although I like some of the earlier seasons and I like it depending on who it is, 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 is Doctor Who. Like in some of that, I like Wait, the idea. when ideas you say of, earlier seasons, which incarnation do you mean? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying that depending on how old it is, like in terms of the designs, so there's just something about, I don't know. I just have a disconnect with some especially like tv like if the budget is really low and i think it's that i like kind of like grounded sci-fi like i like um for lack of better terms like a more like naturalist sci-fi and so if it gets too whimsical for me the ideas behind it the writing behind it might be really good and i think that is the case with star trek that it's actually quite clever and i think i would appreciate it more but i'm just saying at the time i was like more on board with other things anyway. see this is okay and hearing you say that you might actually really enjoy first contact because it takes place in what is actually our very near future mm -hmm. the, the earth is still trying to recover from a very recent world war three in which they almost completely obliterated themselves and so that's where a lot of this hopefulness and this renewal and this new faith in humanity gets placed so much on from Cochran and his new warp capable machine. And so what's really interesting is that the crew of the Enterprise has such reverence for him because he's such a hero. And then they go back in time and they actually meet him. And he turns out to be this very regular average Joe. And his ship is like basically held together with bubble gum and hope. Mm -hmm. And and so they they realize just how human he is and how fallible he is and they it, you know it really puts him in a brand new perspective in their eyes as well so what you mean to say is that uh the phoenix is also an appropriate name uh for the ship which is the topic uh, that we are discussing oh and right we are, because yeah, of right, the, the thing we're actually here for yeah um there's a couple other films slash like uh what one of these is a comic book but 
Um, the first film that it appears in uh, is uh, Phoenix appears in Fantasia 2000 um, to Stravinsky's Firebird, which people haven't seen before. It's a cool interpretation. And um, it's Fantasia 2000, like the original Fantasia is an animated <laughs> uh, film set to classical music. Um, and it's about the Firebird. So this Firebird comes out of the volcano and is clearly Phoenix influenced. Um, the other most recent film, and imagine maybe you'll appreciate this. I feel like for the sake of the podcast, I often just go, I've heard this movie is bad. I'm going to watch it anyway. And this week I decided I wasn't doing it um, because <laughs> uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix came out and I didn't see it. Um, I do think that the character is very cool. Um, Jean Grey in the X-Men has like telepathic and telekinetic powers and she dies and eventually is like rebirthed as Phoenix, um, sometimes in space and sometimes through, I don't know, various means and is reincarnated. And anyway, that character is very cool, but I just, I'm sorry, listeners, I just, I couldn't do it this week. <laughs> I have no hot takes about Dark Phoenix uh, because I didn't watch it and I'm not gonna. <laughs> well, I, I think part of, uh, it's very difficult to make a, a tight, entertaining action movie around such a huge storyline mm -hmm. and huge saga mm -hmm. like the story of the phoenix and the dark phoenix within Jean gray that could i mean that went on for issues and issues and issues mm -hmm. and are it's a huge storyline in the comics uh, you cannot encapsulate all of it in just a two-hour bubblegum right. popcorn movie and maybe that's the the tricky thing is that the newer films well, I, I mean, they kind of had it both ways because you saw a little bit of this character in the original X-Men films, like in the trilogy, right? Yeah. Where they weaved it in, and you have a better chance of success there because you can thread out some of the payoff, right? Like in the newer films that are more one-offs, you're right that you can't establish that much love for the character and then feel betrayed by like losing that character in, in two hours. So maybe it's a format issue, not all adaptations. Uh, well, and, and really the whole, like within the comic books, there's a whole, it's such a huge long saga where like the Phoenix personality thinks that it is Jean Grey and lives that way for years and marries Cyclops and has a child with him. Mm. And then when she realizes that she's not actually Jean Grey, she goes insane and tries to kill her son. And it's, it's a very long huge scope, huge emotions, and you need to give that the time and space to be able to actually properly service it. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. Again, again, again you can't do that. It's maybe the, the only example that I could find, though, in contrast to our earlier conversation but about um, Phoenix always being positive and, and bringing uh, around good, that like Dark Phoenix is one of the biggest uh, villains in X-Men. It's often like a chaotic energy and it, the person doesn't know what to do with it that drives them crazy. Yeah, but it like is, it is yeah like the Dark dangerous. Phoenix is is um is literally like a cosmic force that took uh, her gene, actual Jean Grey's fervent desire to save herself and her teammates and heard that wish and so manifested into the persona of this person but like it's cosmic energy so it was never meant to be in a physical form and was never meant to live on earth mm -hmm. and have a regular life and like have a kid and do the you know taking them to soccer practice thing mm -hmm. so again it's you know how do you i'd love to see that though sure <laughs> 
It's like get, get somebody like uh, Seth Rogen to do a limited issue of, of, of Phoenix. It's like a like a Mandalorian style, Dark Phoenix and Sun, <laughs> and they have to uh, get along. Um, well, that's what I got for movies. I actually think that the we're onto something interesting that not every monster adapts well into different forms, and I think that the Phoenix doesn't necessarily adapt well into film because it usually is more of a like a symbolic thing and also you're right that the arc doesn't always carry well within that format i just feel like some of it is lost and either it's personified into something not as interesting as what it could be um or there's just not enough time to tell that story um but it does work well in kind of uh longer formats or alternate formats so um one thing that it does work well in is video games and that means that it's time for this week's pokemon of the week uh. <laughs> and there's two yes that's right we've got to the week where madrin does not even pretend to, to, to enjoy it um there's two uh pokemon that are clearly phoenix influenced um uh, one which is Ho-Oh, which is a golden bird um that is believed to be uh, the Pokemon. It's like a legendary bird that created uh, Suicune, Raikou, and Entai. Um, and it rebirthed these three nameless Pokemon that died into a fire um, at a tower into these. And it's now known as the Burned Tower. And like, there's all this kind of uh, fire imagery for Ho-Oh. And it, that imagery is more like the gold, purple, um, silver, it might be a little bit of red, but it's like the other color of Phoenix. Whereas in the very first Pokemon games, red and blue, there's also a legendary build called uh, Moltres. Moltres is more chicken-like um, in the way that it looks, but it sleeps in molten lava and it recovers in molten lava. And so it um, heals in fire. And I think that's very Phoenix-like as well. Um, there are a couple other legendary birds, but those two are very specifically in my mind basically phoenixes oh no oh no <laughs> um uh it also appears in paper mario the origami king there's um these creatures called valumentals that are kind of like uh legendary there's four of them they're kind of based as like gods they, they have different interpretations that aren't i think exactly in any specific culture um but there's one that's that seems to be based off the uh, the vermilion bird, um, it's this origami version of this phoenix. It's, it's quite cool. Um, and it's uh, uh, the phoenix is a reoccurring uh, summon in the Final Fantasy games, which is usually an ally that fights along with you uh, to defeat whatever you're fighting against. Um, and so I think as an entity, as a cosmic entity or a monster that's discovered, phoenix is great, like when it just exists in its own um, right. Uh, any other games you can think of before I talk into some, there's, there's also some great stories, um, like, uh, written, like literature. I think that, um, I don't have video games. I do have, and I cannot believe that I still have the brain cell that held on to this. I remember that there was a television series that for whatever reason was shown to my class when I was in oh, really? school. Yeah. It's, um, it was a BBC adaptation of a book called The Phoenix and the Carpet. And it was about these oh, four okay. Edwardian yeah. children who <laughs> they, uh, so they're very excited about 
Guy Fox night. And so they set off their fireworks early inside their house, which then causes a fire. For whatever reason, they don't put it out immediately. And a new or, or like a secondhand carpet that their parents had bought has arrived. And when they unroll it, there's an egg inside it. And they accidentally knock it into this fire that they've caused. And it hatches and a talking phoenix comes out of it. <laughs> it's like played by is everyone sitting down? Poirot himself, David Suchet. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it turns out also that this carpet that their parents have bought is a magic carpet that then takes them on all of these adventures. And so I, I do not know how my teachers justified this as educational in any way, but I distinctly remember being shown all six episodes of this in a series over and over again. And it just kind of bizarrely ends with all of a sudden the, the Phoenix is just like, okay, so I've decided it's time to die now. And then it just does like it goes, it just bursts into flame and goes into ashes. And then he legs an egg and then that, there's a new egg that eventually might hatch. Like, this is very strange. I feel like an, animation has got a little bit more nuanced than this with time, but sometimes there is that thing in the pilot where like, well, we've got this great premise, but like, how do we get there? And so they just cram a bunch of stuff together. But that, like, no, this isn't like, Let's animated. Oh, it's like this live is live action. action. Yeah. A, so the oh, okay. only thing, yeah. So it's, so it's extra uh, forced in my mind. The, like the to premise. my recollection, the Phoenix is a is is either a puppet or an animatronic, but it is and it is voiced by David Suchet. Oh. But everyone else that is in it is a real live human being. Hmm. Um. Well, <laughs> and I don't know how it was justified to show us the like. It's not educational in any way. <laughs> and then you, I was uh, also. Would you recommend it? <laughs> thumbs up, um, thumbs down? Well, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. I seem to recall, I mean, anything that David Suchet is in can't be terrible, okay. right? Like it's, he's, he's Hercule Poirot, it can't be bad. But what's really, is in my recollection, I was a young child when I saw this. I'm talking like maybe seven or eight. But then I was looking at the production history of this. This came out in 1997. In 1997, I was 14. Why were my teachers showing me this at 14? What uh, educational value did this hold? This it must have just like I don't know. Maybe she was hungover or something. I don't know. I had, I watched a lot of weird movies. Like I remember uh <laughs> I'm gonna give you a slight tangent and get back on the track of Phoenix. I was what? in no grade school, grade five or something. Our teachers had us watch it in school, which is like just terrifying. What? I just was like afraid of clowns for a period of time because it's, it oh, happened again in middle school and I was like stop showing us this movie I guess because it was like Stephen King it was like two separate schools I was like what is your fascination with this like clown and fix it uh, maybe that was their drama. way of teaching you stranger danger I I it worked <laughs> <laughs> you never followed a clown into a sewer after never, that never so it worked uh yeah um so also, there is a phoenix in supernatural Yes. Oh, I was, I was assuming you would get there. Um, <laughs> do you want to spend on that or shall I uh, uh, get into uh, music? Uh, I mean, I, honestly, that, that storyline is quite <laughs> like Sam and Dean have to go back in time and they get the ashes of a Phoenix so that they can kill that season's bad guy. Okay. <laughs> and then in the end it's but it's a person like it's human oh, okay. and they can burn people just by touching them and then dean kills it by using the magic colt gun that they've okay. been given <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of, of phoenix 
it was one episode. It wasn't yeah. their strongest. We okay. can move on. <laughs> um, Phoenix uh, appears in in music a few different times. Uh, notably, yes. it's it appears uh, on the logo for the band Queen. That was... That's one of my, I wanted to talk. Queen is one of my favorite bands of all time. Yes. Well, do you know who that logo was designed by? It was designed by Freddie Mercury. That's right. Yeah. So it's like a very prominent part of the top of the logo. If anyone wants to Google this, you can see the Phoenix yes. on the top. Of, and the I have to say, since logo. we've, yeah, since I started doing this research, I have had that Daft Punk song stuck in my head. I know. Was like the I opening gonna... line of Get Lucky has been yep. stuck in my head for days now. Well, it's, it's like the legend of the Phoenix. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just been in my head this whole time. Well, and, and you know, this, this the second line after that is all ends with all beginnings. ends with beginnings. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. They also had a song in 19. Well, it's also Pharrell, right? Like he's not, he's not dumb. But Daft Punk also has an earlier connection to Phoenix. They had a song called Phoenix on their album Homework in 1997, which was like a, a oh. good track as well. Um, so they have they've double dipped in the Phoenix category. Uh, Too Daft many Punk. Phoenix. Well, I mean, we That's see that enough. Kanye uses Phoenix, like the Phoenix imagery over and over and over and over again, mm -hmm. too. So if Kanye can do it, Daft Punk can do it. Yeah, why not? Um, why not? And there was also the like uh, well-known French pop rock band phoenix they had songs uh listomania 1901 there's there's like some nice pop rock there um so phoenix seems like it could be interpreted in music more easily like it, it lends itself well to a kind of metaphor right that you can uh, talk around um and there's two more things that i'm going to talk about here and and whatever imagine wants um <laughs> the first thing is uh there's a poem by shakespeare called um the phoenix and the turtle um, it's not very long, you can find it online, it's quite pretty, um, about kind of the, the end of true love, like uh, between these, these two things that can't love each other anymore. Um, and there is a short story um, by Neil Gaiman called Sunbird, and it's really great. If anybody wants to read it, you can read it, but you can also, as of this moment, listen to an audio book recording on YouTube of Neil Gaiman reading his own short story. Um, and the premise of it is there is an Epicurean club uh, and this group of people who basically eat rare foods. Um, and so the Epicurean club, who's these kind of, I don't know, they're a bit strange, like they're notably kind of strange intellectuals. And they travel to Egypt to eat a phoenix because they've heard that they can get their hands on a phoenix. Um, and it does arrive, like it falls from the sky I believe they they cook it on top of like a beer can like a it which is I guess maybe how you cook different birds it's very modern in that way but it also when they describe the taste of the phoenix it's interpreted by different characters I, I thought it was interesting I wrote down um they describe it as tasting like love fine music truth heaven, youth, and forever. Like these are the like tasting notes that they have of the Phoenix. Um, you know what youth tastes like. <laughs> it, tastes, it tastes like that apparently. Um, and, and then it starts to basically like, like a fierce metabolism. It starts burning the years off of them from the inside. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, that occurs and the Phoenix disappears. I won't, I won't ruin it exactly, but um it is really interesting, the interpretation of the phoenix. Basically, they realize that they're having their dinner served by somebody who's like an eternal who has consumed it in the proper way so it won't destroy them, that they every 
500 years or whatever it is in um and they make a lot of specific references uh, neil gaiman to the history that we were talking about um like i think they specifically talk about heliopolis um and bennu i think those are the ones anyway it's a, there's specific references to the history of the phoenix that we were talking about uh, that's a part of the culture and i think the phoenix lasts and there's one character who realizes that they were kind of drawn there because their their father was drawn there and they had been like so there's this certain cyclical nature to uh, the phoenix in this meal and the phoenix doesn't die just because they're eaten they're they're reborn after being consumed um so i don't know it's a it's a neat short story if anybody's interested in listening to neil gaiman uh tell it to you <laughs> um I considered making that my um, pitch of the week, but uh, I didn't. I, but I didn't do it. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about for pop culture? Uh, I feel like our guest is um, probably, uh, you know, waiting in the wings. Waiting in the wings. Uh, it's it's a bit of like a hot seat, you know. Like they are um, they're they're really eager um, to to share some information with us. That's what I got for pop culture. Last call for pop culture, Madrid. Well, I do recall that uh, I, in my youth, I had a love for Robbie Williams. Uh, and there is a song on his second album called Phoenix from the Flames, mm. which I quite enjoyed. And, I, and it, was, it was quite indicative of where he was in his life at the time, because he was a part of Take That, which was an absolutely huge, huge, huge boy band in Europe. They were like, you know how we think of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys as being like the boy bands mm -hmm. take that was that for europe so it was huge 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 and of course he got like really burnt out and he was he had this image of you know you know that boy band image was really projected on him and so he left the band and was like trying to remake himself and and put out more music that he actually really wanted to sing and actually was writing his music when he was putting out his solo stuff and that sort of thing so phoenix from the flames is a little bit like that of like trying to shed his take that image and become the person that he actually is. And mm. yeah, I thought it was, I was, I liked that album very much. Cool. Yeah. I like the, it's the same, these... it's the same album with um, millennium and she's the one, like those were the big hits I think off of that album for mm. him. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Well, we're going to take a quick break and when we return, uh, we'll be joined by Soleil Ashburn, who can maybe tell us if they have any uh, favorite musical songs uh, about the Phoenix or or which interpretation they think uh, maybe they does like them, boy does bands them justice. from Europe. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Time will tell. Okay, we'll see you in a little bit. Okay, uh, so we are, are joined um, at a nice uh, distance, uh, virtually, um, with uh, Soleil Ashburn, who is uh, a phoenix uh, that, is, that is here with us today. Um, how are you doing, Soleil? I'm doing quite well. You know, um, February in Canada is uh, it's a time of moving slower, of taking things with greater ease and and enjoying one's internal life as much as possible. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, for me, February is uh, kind of cold and, and miserable, yes. but I guess you, you don't have that issue. Like you, you would always be fairly warm or do you ever get the chills? No, no. The the whole, you know, bursting into flames, fire, that sort of thing, it, it really helps to uh, to regulate the bodily temperature. Mm, yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Um, so, so do you have that ability? Can you burst into flames on, on demand? 
No, it's not a it's not an at will type thing. It's um, I would say it's more of a it's. Have you seen any of the um, what are they called? The Marvel the Avenger movies? Um, oh yes, yeah, I think I've heard of those. Yeah. Yes, yes. I I identify with the character of the Hulk. Okay. He says he says at one point that how he turns into the Hulk, I'm, I'm uh, mincing words, of course, that he always stays angry so that he can, mm. you know, become the Hulk whenever. And so I always, the fire is always burning inside of me mm. so that whenever it is needed, I can call upon its, its heat and warmth, but not actually burst into flame. Ah, I see. I see. Because that could trigger uh, maybe a, a dangerous process for you. Certainly, you certainly. You, um, you don't want to uh, you don't want to uh, transmigrate too early. Mm-hmm. What? OK, so you have different phases. Which phase are you in currently? You don't appear to be a small bird. Um, no, uh, but uh, you, you know, don't look particularly you... multi either. Yeah, multi. That's a very good word. I haven't heard that one before. Oh, um, a well, particularly multi bird. Yeah, I, I um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you don't appear to be about to explode. Um, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, sometimes monsters, we see them in various phases. So you're somewhat middle phase at the moment? Yes, I, I suppose in your human terms, one might say that I am in my midlife. I okay. am approximately 258 years old. Oh. Uh, which is about around midlife for a, uh, a phoenix such as myself. So imagine those those five hundred year cycles seem that five hundred year thing seems accurate. to be pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Soleil, could you could you clarify something for us? Yes. What is the plural of phoenix? You know, I was listening to you speak earlier, and I I did want to clarify. Uh, wh- what was the one that you said, Madrin? Phoni. Phoni. That isn't. Interesting one. I've never heard it before. <laughs> I that, prefer- that could be problematic. If you haven't heard it, then it seems like it's probably not correct. <laughs> uh, potato, potato. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, who actually says potato though, right? Uh, well, exactly. <laughs> different people, different strokes for different folks, as they say, or different potatoes for different potatoes. Um, I prefer phoenixes. 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 So we were, imagine we were both wrong. <laughs> well, but see, this is why it's always plural. important to go directly to the source. Yes, this, this is, is the hard-hitting question of the day. <laughs> why guess when we could go to the expert herself? That's yeah. right. That's what I'm here for. So, so you're in your middle phase, but how many cycles have you gone through in your, or, or, or do you know, do you retain knowledge of previous cycles? You see, to, to once again draw on your human um, popular culture, I prefer to think of my life cycle much like, um, oh, what is that program called? Uh, Doctor Who? Oh, yes. Ah, Are yes. you with such program? Oh, oh I, yes. I got to see it the other day through a window. Wonderful. Oh, a window. A window. Okay, so this, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a sidebar, but it does make me wonder, what window? Where was this window? You were outside a window? Were you in a city, a town? Oh, yes, certainly. Well, to get into the finer things, I'll return to my Doctor Who a bit in just a moment. Um, I technically exist on a, a different 
in a different realm as the rest of you. Uh, the large majority of the time you cannot see me, um, but I am here in this living world. So that is, I, I fly about, I, I visit homes, visit people. I'll tell you more about my job later. Um, so yes, I, I, I enjoy flying and, and seeing in people's homes. That's one of my favorite pastimes. Just looking at just voyeurism creeping in uh, there. That's yes, that's one of the uh, <laughs> one of the hallmarks of Phoenixes. Excellent voyeurs. Do you do you ever bump into ghosts on this on this kind of spirit plane, or are they a separate plane? Is there it different? is a separate plane? You're yes. not on the ghost. You're not on the ghost level. No, no, they're the one below us. Oh well, yes. okay. But I'll make sure to put that distinction in when we we sit down with the ghost. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. Well, you know that's the. There's the, the, I was going to say animal kingdom, but that's the monster kingdom. You know, there is a hierarchy. Now, I, I have a bit of a quibble. I, I, I understand this podcast is called Monstrology, but I, I do take a bit of offense mm-hmm. being referred to as a monster. You see, yeah, I brought I, up that point. Yes. And what, what was your, uh, what was your point about that? Well, I- well, that you're you just seem to be a, a a fantastic in the true sense of the word a fantastic creature and mm-hmm. not a malevolent or evil or even any kind of human devouring persona. You're 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 just here. I'm just here, not That's- causing destruction, not causing chaos, not causing death. And typically, that is what monsters do. Absolutely mm. right. And so I I wouldn't consider myself to be a monster per se, although I, I do not I do not think that's a bad thing to be. It's simply I refer to myself as a a, a mythical creature, I've mm. been called. I think the thing for All me right. uh, in defense of my own podcast title <laughs> is that I, I don't have a negative connotation for monsters. I, I come at it mm. with an with an open heart. For me, yes. uh, a monster is is um a being that that is uh, inhuman um you know in my my job in creating this is to prove to people uh who have uh, incorrectly labeled them as imaginary and and to mm. show them the truth that they are not in fact imaginary and, and reveal them to to our um, existence i think sometimes monsters for people can be scary some of them uh, yourself not included can be quite ugly or terrifying um, Thank you for that clarification. Well, you're welcome. And, and you know, that's the thing that defines a monster to me is they're, they're inhuman and they can be quite powerful and supernatural, um, you know, but if it, it's not meant to have the negative connotation. I'm sorry if that has uh, ruffled your feathers in, in any way. That was very good, very good. I've been burning to make a joke of my oh, own. <laughs> well, you know, there'll be no shortage of Tons of sound, I love it. Yeah. Uh, what, as of on that note, what came first, the, the phoenix or the egg? Oh, that, well, that, that is a, a, a tale as old as time. <laughs> tale. Yeah. <laughs> but I... I well, I suppose on that point, I should get back to my earlier point about the the about phoenix. The doc- about the Doctor Who. Yeah, about <laughs> the Doctor Who. Yes. Wait, did we define and, what city or town you were in? Certainly, yes. Uh, I currently am uh, residing over the city of Ottawa. On oh. Yes. You know, we we know someone else around there, uh, Brenda the Banshee. Uh, if you if you run into into Brenda, um, it's, it's she's generally having a hard time. <laughs> so maybe you could just. But typically, you'll find her chasing after Aaron O'Toole. 
Well, yes. maybe not anymore. Maybe she's got to maybe new, not. Uh, yeah, who knows? Anyway. Yes, she and I have run into each other on on a number of occasions because you see, she precedes death, and I proceed death. Does that mean no? She comes before death, and I come after it. So and before and during, you are all the stages of death in, in my mind. That is and life and yes. life. Yes, how you represent so much and are so much. Um, yes. Yeah. So Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> Before when we talked about Doctor Who, it seemed like a bit of a, a tangent, but in this case, it is what you have decided that, that relates to you. So please, I need to know. This is true. You see, I, I like to use these metaphors to explain my existence to the humans. Mm -hmm. You see, with Doctor Who, the way I understand it is that the Doctor is a, a sort of placeholder. And when he regenerates, he becomes a new form, mm -hmm. as well as a new sort of consciousness. He okay. has certain memories from his past um, existence. However, a new personality emerges, a new soul. Mm. And so with phoenixes, our bodies are sort of placeholders. And so it's not the same body, but it's still the same being. And so each time we become reborn, we are a new bird, we are a new spirit, we are a new uh, experience with life. We do retain some memories from our past selves, but there's so much new growth and new birth each time we are reborn. Cool. That was very informative. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good example that has uh, taught me uh, a lot about Doctor Who, <laughs> um, <laughs> in addition to my knowledge of phoenixes. Um, so you retain certain amount of memories uh, from your previous lives, not as much as your current life. That's I'm just right. kind of curious if you have a favorite age or phase. Now, it might be a bit hazy if it's before this current existence, this current soul that you, you mm. occupy, but you know, do you like the multi-phase? Do you like the young uh, baby bird phase? Do you like, do you have a rebellious Do you like the multi-phase? In your, in your I, early I just years? enjoy that we keep using this word multi. Multi. We give a, a, an interesting name to each of my uh, cycles. That would be, that would be. Yeah, sure. Okay. So. How many cycles do you, would you say that you have? How many phases? I would say there are about four. There's the the one where you're freshly born, you're okay. just out of the egg, experiencing uh, your new existence for the first time, and then you go through a sort of uh, the humans might refer to it as a adolescence, uh -huh. one might say, but, but... and then you reach midlife, which is where I am, at which point you have a, a good understanding of the world, but. Still, of course, so many things to learn. And then, as you call it, the multi-phase. Yeah, so, so great. So we, so, so there's four phases here. We've got the fourth one, right? The, the multi-phase. I think we can all agree. And, and, and Soleil has, has defined that as being accurate. What's a good uh, name, would you say, Madrid, for this first phase, this, um, this newborn phase? Um, I, I'm surely it's loud. The, the downy you... phase? The downy, like oh, I okay. like that. It also reminds me of um, what was that fellow's name? The there's a Canadian band. Um, oh, Gord Downey. Oh, oh, yes. 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 
Yes. Yes. Okay, so a got, beloved uh, pop culture icon. So there's the, Canada, the Gord yes. Downey phase. Named <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, named after his early early years as a traveling uh, exciting musician. Certainly, you know, there's the there's the, look. We've all agreed. We are, now we have to move on. There's the court townie face. <laughs> then there's the the adult the adult. Well, no, the ad, no, you, the adolescent. Ah, yes. the adolescent. Yes, this adolescent this, early adult. Now, did you? This is in human terms. I would say this is a bit of a shit disturbing phase. I mean, a lot of people in their in their twenties get into all sorts of trouble and, and shenanigans. No, and no, the good. shenanigan phase. Can we did call it have, the shenanigan phase? Did you have a, a, a phase like that? Well, how would you describe, did, did you get into trouble? And maybe this will help us name this phase. I, I, I certainly did. You see, the adolescent stage is where the phoenix is starting to uh, take on some of their, their worldly duties. Mm. And that can come with a certain amount of animosity, one might feel, towards having to do work, a job, <laughs> anything like that. I'm sure both of you feel that from time to time as well. But then eventually you understand the importance of your duties and your tasks, and so you take them up. But yes, I, I, I rebelled for, for oh, I'd say at least 25 years, if oh. not longer. So there's a certain amount of acting out there. How do you act out as a phoenix? You can't get like a tattoo. Um, I assume you can't, you know, get into all sorts of drugs and alcohol maybe you can I, I don't know how you ingest I feel like at a certain point in these interviews I always have to wonder how somebody consumes things yes yes well in rebellion in the phoenix world for me had to do a lot with lifting obnoxiously heavy things and then mm. tossing them harmlessly but creating a great amount of noise and, and using my powers for less than perfect reasons Mm -hmm. So is it true that you have the you the strength to be able to lift whales and elephants? Whales and elephants are but peanuts and in terms of what I can lift. Yes, that's nice. correct. So were yeah. you tossing a lot of whales around? I in was your cranky adolescent I, face. I enjoy tossing um killer whales, especially oh. when they're right about to... like orcas. Yes, yes. Oh, I know someone who also has very strong feelings about orcas. He feels similarly to pandas. Ah, oh, yes, that sounds like a that sounds like a, an interesting perspective for one to have. Yeah, basically um, all black and white creatures I, are on his hit list. Okay, yes. it, they make a, a great sound when they hit the water again. I must oh. say. What about Dalmatians? Hopefully, you haven't no. tossed a lot of Dalmatians. Dalmatians have uh, great purposes in fire stations, and so we like to leave them to their duties. Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Fire. So you okay. have an appreciation for fire-related uh, jobs. Uh, so, so what do you, what do you think about the name of this this phase, this adolescent phase? Are, are we going with shenanigans, uh, or can we just go with the orca tossing phase? Um, <laughs> Um, I let's go. We'll go with the shenanigan phase. Okay, I think okay. That's, that's, yes. So we've we've got the Gord Downey phase. I believe it was just the Downey phase. <laughs> uh, I mean the record. <laughs> okay, so we got the um the Downey family phase. We've got the um uh, shenanigans phase. Yes. Uh, we've got what the boomer phase. What is the next phase of? of oh, it's uh, the phase that I am in, which is midlife to early hmm, elderly. I suppose one would call that the like the golden girls. 
Well, that's yeah, that's oh. a, that, I, I, I do enjoy that program. It's uh, a great cool. show. Cool it really it. holds up. I watched it again recently, the whole series. And for a show that came out 40 years ago, it was still quite topical. There is some gold in your plumage, uh, I have noticed as well. Yes, so, I might be considered a golden girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so maybe the maybe the golden girl's face is is accurate. I um, I enjoy that. We could also call it the B. Arthur face. No, yeah. I, I like the golden girl. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's let's go with that. Rolls and, off the tongue. And then of course molting. So now, of course, we multi. have covered mul multi 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 face. Um, so we've covered all four phases and, and we have, um, we can put that in the record book. Uh, so thank you for that. You mentioned, um, did you, did you mention that you have a job? I feel like yes, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm sitting here on tenterhooks. I want to ask all about this job. Well, my duties pertain to human death. You see, you won't have this understanding yet because I hope that neither of you have had any near-death experiences. But it is my job, after a human being passes away, they enter into my realm. And when they come into this realm, because I am a, a being that is all about rebirth and, and starting anew, it is my duty to explain to humans that after they pass away, they leave their mortal body. However, their soul exists on the same plane as mine does. Mm. And that plane is one that humans can neither, well, see nor hear, but they can always sense us. And so I am there to be a sort of a reassuring guide after uh, the death of a human. Uh, are you I, saying that there are a whole bunch of human souls floating around on a different plane of existence just watching us at all times yeah voyeurism is really key in this uh in this process it seems you that you nailed it you nailed it yes <laughs> at the, all times but the thing about it's, in all it's places not, it's not creepy it's the way i like to explain it to mortals is that you see because energy can be neither created nor destroyed the actions that you took in life are similar to the ones that you pertain to in death. Mm. And so you're not so much watching everyone who's living, you're, you're going about the duties that you went about in your daily life, unless you didn't like them, in which case you can just throw those out the proverbial window. Mm. That's good. <laughs> I can to... see how it is that you have crossed paths with Brenda the Banshee yes. as she is, you know, she, she signals a person who is about to die, kind of existing on a different sort of realm in that way as well, too. So tell her we yes. say hi. She was great. She was a lot of fun when she was our guest here. So if you I see her again, you say we will. say hi. Yeah, we, we hope to never and, uh, see her again. Um, but we hope well, that not for a long time at yeah, least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Though I do hope she's sticking it to Aaron O'Toole. Yeah. Uh, last I, think, I checked. I think maybe she, she did. <laughs> you know. She did her job. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, this is an interesting job. So you don't. Do you, do you get any currency for this? Is there a currency system, or it's more of like a this is your uh, purpose? I would say more of a purpose. You mm. see, um, 
in order for me to remain immortal and for my life to continue on in a sense, I do have to attend to these duties of, of a sort of comforting after death. Hmm. This is more common. It seems than like I this would, it seems like it takes up quite a lot of your time. Do you have time for hobbies or outside interests outside of, of your death realm? job duties? Certainly, certainly I do. Um, I, I don't have very much downtime, but the downtime that I do have, uh, I recently discovered that I am able to manipulate certain things. Well, as we talked about with throwing orcas and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I can manipulate things in, uh, the realm of the living. Mm. And so, uh, I've taken up knitting. Oh. Oh, Yes. Does yes, it ever now, catch fire? It seems that like... was going to be my next point. Yes. You see, we have to, I have to find this sort of um, flame resistant wool, which is mm. surprisingly hard to find, but um, they do a special thing to the sheep before they shear them. And it's, it's, it's all good. Yes. Do you need needles or can you just use your claws in a specific oh. way? I, I do like to use needles because I have tried using my talons in the past, mm. um, but it, the size consistency, it's mm. just doesn't work out that well. And the See. tension and the patterns that my talons aren't long enough. So. You can't put it down mid, mid knitting if, if you're all, if you're all wooled up. Precisely. Uh, that seems like a, that, that, that's an unusual hobby for someone who is, as you had said before, so warm all the time and you can call on the power of fire when you need to. to I would think that for someone who likes knitting, you'd be making a lot of hats and scarves and mittens and, and quite warm articles of clothing. And it seems like you don't need those. So what do, what do you do with all of the, or, or what do you knit? And what do you do with those pieces once they are complete? That is a wonderful question. You see, it goes along with the, uh, the comforting after death. You see, humans, when they first come to me, they're usually quite shocked. They have a lot of feelings that they need to process. And so I <laughs> Maybe found... they were hit by a bus or something. Yes, you know. yes, <laughs> yes. Be surprised. It, it's certainly, certainly. Um, and so I found that presenting them with a, a, a gift of some variety, be it in the form of a, a blanket, if I've had some extra time that week, perhaps a hat, if I've had some less time, those I can, mm. I can whip off in an hour, or a scarf if I've only had a few minutes. So presenting them with this gift offers them a sort of comfort. It's like when you have a, you go visit a baby in the hospital, as you humans do. Has, has anyone ever rejected your gift and thrown it back in your face? Oh, all the time. Yes, Aww. we get we get folks who are, are very unhappy with their deaths. And so I just keep it and give it on to the next person. It's their loss. It's a little bit drafty in this realm. So mm-hmm. did you Renew- ever have- and it goes along with the theme of renewal. Did you right? ever have passing a- it on to the next person? Did you ever have a situation where you kind of like knitted a specific name into it though? And then it was like kind of awkward. You had to like re-gift the scarf and then the next person you know, let's say their name was Phil, got a scarf that said the name Aaron on it. And then you had Ooh. to be like, did you ever have that situation with that re-gifting problem? 
that would be uncomfortable. Thankfully, you see, I don't have warning about who is going to pass before I visit them. It's ah. kind of a, a spur of the moment thing. Mm. And so I don't get the chance to uh, embroider with their name before I mm. arrive. So it's got to be a one that, size fits all. Exactly. Well, and, and that sounds very similar to our, our guest on our last episode was uh, the Grim Reaper. Oh, and she said wow. something very similarly that she doesn't necessarily get the list in advance. She just gets told, okay, this is where you're going. You're going to go reap this person. So it seems like it's, it's a very similar, similar situation where, you know, you don't, you don't really get a lot of advance notice as to who you're going to go and uh, take on into the next realm. Do you have a, a boss or, or do you just cosmically know where to go? Well, you see, there's a, um, oh, what would we call it? A, uh, there's a, a group of us phoenixes. Um, I, I understand that many of you believe that there is but one phoenix in existence, but actually we each cover a, a certain area of oh, the okay. human world. That makes a and lot of so sense. I wouldn't say that we have a boss per se, but we have a, a moral duty to each other mm -hmm. to carry out our tasks. Hmm. Does anyone ever um, just fail to pull their weight? Have you ever had to have a, a, a phoenix intervention with anybody? Or certainly, the, uh, those are very uncomfortable and very imagine. sweaty. Yes, yes, <laughs> phoenixes do sweat, and when we get all together in a room, it gets very warm. Um, but yes, we have a um, a wayward phoenix down in Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, we've been thinking about firing Todd. Mm. Todd. Yeah. Todd, the, the Phoenix, Arizona now, Phoenix. Now, is Todd, what phase are they in? Are they in the, the Downey family phase? Are they in the, in the orca throwing phase? Are they in the... Um, Golden girls, Next, golden girls phase are in the multi phase because it feels like you know if you're in the multi phase and you start forgetting like what's going on, I would have a bit of sympathy for that. And if you're in the the, the Downey family phase, like you don't know what's going on yet. So I feel like I give them a bit more slack on on either end of the spectrum here. But if they're in you know the orca throwing phase, like you're gonna have to learn they're, some hard. They're supposed to be yeah. They're supposed to be sorting themselves out by now. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. You see. Todd is is the same age as I am, roughly, oh. and so he's had plenty of years to adjust. He's and not much of a golden girl at all. No, I would say he's on the other end of the spectrum, which is the boomer. Ah, uh, yes. I see. Yes. So it's so it splinters into, into two categories at that phase, and then comes back together for the molting. You're either a, a boomer or a golden girl. Yes. What you're saying is he's ruining it for everyone else, and then blaming all of the rest of you for it. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. I see. I see. Yes. Oh, yeah. Todd, Todd needs a real talking to you. I'm Todd, sure. yes. I, I do have to point out that you did miss my pun earlier. I said we were thinking about firing Todd. Uh, oh. You're very subtle with those. I like that. I like that. Thank you. I I'm, hope sure, things I'm, work sure, out I'm sure with, the listeners um, have caught it. I hope, th I hope things work out, though, with Todd. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best with, in your... Well, perhaps maybe perhaps just an intervention will can do you, the trick. So I, it, you know, maybe you don't have to fire him. Can you just hit the reboot button? Like, can you can you, can you skip skip early to the to the downy phase if you're just like eh, is, this is a bust? Can you just start that again? is 
precisely what we do. It, it, oh. it, I, I believe that some of you humans would consider calling it a mercy killing. But you see, when a, because phoenixes Maybe. don't die, it's, it's not death. We're just, um, we are turning him off and on again. It is a bit of an ethical gray area to to reboot them into a new soul, um, but hey, uh, you guys do you. Well, it's like I don't know. It'd be like in your computer if a program just won't load, you just turn it off, unplug it, count to ten mippa pippies, and then you plug it back in again and start over again. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. What was that word you used? Uh, Mippa Pippies, that is a Farscape reference for anybody who wants to do more of a deep dive into sci-fi nerdisms. <laughs> hey, I, th I thought you were going to say a deep dive into my personality. Um, <laughs> my personality <laughs> is sci-fi <laughs> pop culture world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I, I, um, I, could, I could talk to you forever, Soleil, but I, and I could, but I won't because the show has to be a finite period of time and I'm sure you yes. can appreciate that as only having a finite number of years on, uh, to exist. But I have one last question, and it's going to yes. sound like a bit of a gotcha question, uh, but I don't mean it to be unless it is. Uh, All right. Okay. I am prepared. Is, what is your environmental impact? My environmental impact? Could you elaborate on that for me? Well, you know, generally, uh, as a civilization of humans right now, we're trying to study our impact on the environment. And it occurs to me that is an entity that deals largely with fire and combusting. Um, you might release a lot of emissions into the atmosphere uh, that, that could be, be damaging this, this globe. And I think and so Will is asking, you what to, is your carbon footprint? Yeah, has your, has your carbon footprint had to be more moderated in the, in, uh, recently or... Well, I, uh, first I should clarify that it would technically be a, a carbon talon, a carbon wing print, wing, uh, wing, wing something of that nature. Yes. yes. The other thing to consider, Will, is that because I only uh, burst into flames once every 500 years, mm -hmm. and there, while there are a number of us phoenixes, we are doing it in the realm of the living. But the emissions that we are letting off, they go into the realm of the phoenixes. And so mm. actually we leave no carbon talon. Mm. Which is, 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 the, is the phoenix realm getting a little bit emission-y? <laughs> oh, no, if, if, if all of that goes the other plane? We have a, a, a special uh, filtration system. <laughs> I see. It helps to, uh, to keep our lungs clear from all the, the smoke and whatnot. That's good. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad that we can give this, um, I don't know, the green check mark or whatever uh, that, that exists uh, uh, for our, our monster footprint. Um, I'll try to keep that in mind. And um, this is uh, less of a question and more of a check-in. Uh, usually we would check in earlier, um, but it seems that we didn't uh, imagine, which is our, our intern, um, oh, yes. uh, Jules, um, helped, helped set that up for you. And um, is she still on this plane of existence? I haven't heard from her. Um, is she okay? Does As she, is she in any phase of human existence right now or? As far as I understand it, yes. When we spoke, she appeared to me as, as you are both appearing to me now. She is a bit of a, an odd bird, isn't she? Well, she, she wasn't a <laughs> well, bird. A she human. wasn't a bird when I sent her to you to set up the equipment. But if she oh. is a bird now, 
Um, you know, it's not the worst thing that's happened to one of our interns. Yes, well, she but... appeared to me as a, a carrier pigeon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. I, I didn't author, I didn't sign the forms for that. I um, thought it was very progressive of you to have a carrier pigeon as an intern. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed mm. that, that Jules managed to figure out how to move through to a different plane of existence. And yet um, still deliver all the audio equipment. Yeah, yes. and set it up quite well. Most um, impressive. Well, congratulations, Jules. Um, now is the part of the show um, where we like to pitch things. Um, so uh, just so you know, Soleil, sometimes we'll pitch things like a, we have local businesses in our area, or sometimes we'll pitch a, a piece of media that we enjoy or that we're involved in. Um, is there anything that you would like to pitch uh, to our listeners? Certainly. I have had the pleasure of attending a few shows of this touring theater company called Live History, oh. and they do some wonderful work with interactive historic theater at museums and historic sites around the world. So I just wanted to say how thoroughly I enjoy the work that they do. Mm, cool. Imagine anything that you'd like to pitch? Yes, I I'm currently watching season four of Disenchantment. Oh, it's, me, uh, me too. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. You know, like uh, Matt Matt Groening's latest show that he developed for Netflix. Uh, and I, you know, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, John DiMaggio, who is currently <laughs> embroiled in Bendergate. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about Bendergate. Uh, I I support John DiMaggio. 100%. I think I do too. Yeah. That, well, you here's the thing. The so Futurama. Futurama is not Futurama without Bender, and Bender is not Bender without John DiMaggio. I think no it's... one who is in the voiceover industry is going to poach that job. Just pay the man what he is worth. That, and that's what it is. That's what it is. It, it, I don't think he's asking for anything that is above what he deserves. Just pay him what he is worth. He's obviously very talented. Just do it. Just do it. Like I, I agree. <laughs> like I'm I not. I can't. I that, can't watch um... Futurama without it. In, it, it, so, 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 Soleil, just so you know, this is a, a television show that we, we very much enjoy called Futurama. It oh, takes yes. place in the year 3000, and there is a robot named Bender, voiced by a very uh, uh, prolific uh, voice artist that has, has created um, and quite actually, the phenomenon. Oh my God, uh, I, can't believe I, I can't believe it only occurred to me just now. John DiMaggio is also quite well known for voicing the main character in the Gears of War video game series. And that character's name is, can you believe it, Phoenix. Oh, oh goodness. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good connection. Oh, man, this is cosmic. The universe just planted that in my head. We are, we are all in the right place at the right time. Uh, we're exactly where we need to be. Um, my pitch is a website um, called tvtropes.org. Uh, it's good if you're into storytelling. If you've never um, gone on this website before, it's, it's just a fun way to spend some time, or you can use it as a writing tool. Um, you can either search a random trope, and it will bring up a page of a random trope that you might see in storytelling. For example, like death is cheap, and all of the ways that death has been cheapened from, like, let's say, a character like Dark Phoenix emerging so many times that we just assume they'll always come back and they'll never really die or disappearing into the light or falling objects. Uh, cue the falling object at a specific time. Anyway, 
all of these different uh, tropes. It's not specific to TV. They look in different forms of literature. Um, or you can just do a random piece of media that might pull up a show that you listen, uh, that you either listen to uh, or that you watch. Um, it will break down all the tropes inside of that. Um, or you can search for something like I do every two weeks, um, like a monster, and it can show you all the instances of that. Anyway, it's a great resource and it's a, a fun way to sink some of your time, even if you're just interested in learning about different storytelling tropes. Um, yeah, so that's my pitch. TVTropes.org. <laughs> um, well, Soleil, it, it's been uh, such a joy uh, to, to meet you, to share this time with you. Uh, I, I'm thrilled to be able to add this information to our archives that's growing all the time. Um, I've recently started doing this thing for the past, I don't know how many episodes, uh, that if you would like to impart any last moment or phrase of wisdom uh, onto our, our listeners, now is your time to share a word of wisdom. I think I would like to leave you with the way that William Shakespeare described, well, me, but also a bit of Queen Elizabeth I. I'll read you that excerpt. So he said of me, <clears throat> nor shall this peace sleep with her, but as when the bird of wonder dies, the maiden phoenix, her ashes new create another heir. As great in admiration herself, so shall she leave her blessedness to one when heaven shall call her from this cloud of darkness, who from the sacred ashes of her honor shall star-like rise as great in fame as she was, and so stand fixed. Mm. Is that Henry the Eighth? Henry the Oh yeah. All right. Well, on that note, that's all the time we've got for uh, uh, monstrology. We'll be back in two weeks with our tenth episode when we hit double digits. Uh, we look forward to having you listen to us then. All right. Bye. Have a nice life. <laughs> Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content, co-hosted by Will King and Madrin McCabe, edited and produced by Will King, and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found. Mm -hmm.